praise the Lord for victory in Jesus. It's been such a blessing. First hour this morning, looking at Christ our victor, singing of it even now. Christ is our victor, and all who trust in him become partakers in that victory. There is victory in Jesus. We praise the Lord for that. Our Savior forever. This morning we venture into chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. I invite you to turn there with me. Chapters 13 and 14 took us into the upper room where Jesus was sharing a Passover meal with his disciples. And partway through that evening, Judas, one of the twelve, was dismissed by Christ to go and to pursue his desires to betray him, Satan having entered him. And Jesus then begins to speak in very explicit terms about his departure, about the promise of heaven in the future, about the promise of the presence of the Trinity in the disciples' lives when the Spirit comes. And he spoke of the promise of provision of heavenly resources for the mission that he would send them out on as his witnesses with the help of the Spirit. These are profound concepts that Jesus teaches his true disciples. The time had now come for Jesus to use a metaphor to help the disciples to to picture these profound truths he's been teaching them about and, and how these realities fit together in their lives. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples, get up, let us go from here. So they have now left the upper room, but Jesus continues his farewell discourse with them. He continues to teach them as a means of preparing them for life after he departs. They're headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's quite likely that Jesus and his disciples would have passed by vineyards along their journey. And so it is perhaps in this kind of setting that Jesus spoke these words to them that we see at the beginning of John 15 with that kind of image before them. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is the way and the truth and the life, that there is no other hope for life but in him. Help us to grasp these words of his to his disciples and cause your truth in this passage to bear fruit in our lives for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do in our time this morning is to look at this metaphor and its various components to understand what they represent and to discern the relations between them in the overall picture. Jesus introduces himself as the first component of this metaphor. He speaks of a vine, 
the true vine. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. The true vine is Jesus. This is the last of seven I am statements of Jesus highlighted in the Gospel of John. I am is the covenant name of God that he revealed to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. This name speaks of God's self-existence. His existence is not dependent on anyone or anything else. He exists by virtue of who he is. He is the very essence of what it is to be. And all other beings are dependent on his being for their existence. Jesus claimed this name for himself while making these I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Jesus claims yet again to be God. He is God in flesh. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And specifically, he claims here to be the true vine. This vine language had formerly been used of Israel in the Old Testament. Israel was supposed to be a channel of God's blessing in the world. It was the focal point of one's becoming connected to the God of Israel. It was the focal point of participation in the covenant blessings of Israel's God to be connected to Israel. Earlier in John, we see that the Jews were looking to their heritage as the basis in their minds for being connected to God. They said, Abraham is our father, and therefore God is our father. Paul, of course, notes in Romans that not all Israel is Israel. Being ethnically Jewish does not automatically make you a partaker of promise. Being ethnically Jewish does not automatically make you at peace with God. Jesus actually tells them, you were of your father, the devil. Which, by implication, he's saying, you are not right with God. You don't have the blessing and the life of God in you. You are actually spiritually dead and enemies of God. Israel was supposed to be a channel of God's blessing and life in the world, but every time that the Lord uses this language, this vinyl language in reference to Israel in the Old Testament, it's in a negative connotation. And he speaks of the unfaithfulness of Israel in these cases. Let's look at a couple of them. Psalm 80 is one. Psalm 80, beginning in verse... It says, You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its bows. It was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges so that all who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you, look down from heaven and see And take care of this vine, even the shoot which your right hand has planted, and the son whom you have strengthened for yourself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. 
they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. We see here that Israel is pictured as a vine that is transplanted from Egypt into the promised land that God was clearing the way for them, a fertile land. And then we see this vine by the end of that being burned with fire and cut down. Why? Well, let's look at Isaiah 5 to see why. Isaiah 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, let me sing now for my well-beloved. This is Isaiah singing for his well-beloved, for God. A song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it. And also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, Let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed. But briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain. No rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant, thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. God had planted Israel as his choice vine. He had set them up to be blessed and to be fruitful. Yet they produced bad fruit, and so God judged them. Israel was supposed to be a channel of God's blessings in the world, but they were unfaithful to God. They were consequently expelled from the promised land that had been cleared for them. And even after they were brought back into that land from exile, they continued to be largely marked by unfaithfulness to God. And you see the horrific spiritual condition to which they had declined by the time that Jesus comes into the world. They have so declined that they hate God in the flesh when he comes to dwell with them. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true channel of God's blessing and life. Israel will never be what they're meant to be until they repent of their sin and trust in me. They will only be able to fulfill their calling to be a channel of blessing and life in the world when they are vitally connected to me by faith. It's not going to be this generation when Jesus comes, that first coming. That generation handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. And yet anyone at that point who did believe in him, they would thereby be vitally connected to him. They would receive blessing and life from God, directly from Christ. Are you vitally connected to Jesus, the true vine? Have you received life in his name? Your heritage will not save you. For those of you who have Christian parents, your parents' faith will not save you. Oh, you must personally trust in and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Baptism won't save you. Your church attendance won't save you. Those are not inherently bad things, but nothing that you do will save you. Only the true vine can give you life. There's only one who is the true vine, 
There's only one in whom you will find eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 tells us, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The disciples needed to be clear on the fact that Jesus is the true vine. And that is the first component of the metaphor. The true vine represents Jesus. And second, there is a vine dresser. This is Jesus' father. The vine dresser is Jesus' father. Coming back to John 15 and looking back at verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Jesus has spoken often of his Father and their relationship. And we have a beautiful picture here of Jesus and his Father sharing the same aim the fruitfulness of the branches. He had previously said, I and the Father are one. They both have their involvement in this bringing about of fruitfulness in the branches. They act together. And vine dressers had a purpose for their vine. They wanted the branches of the vine to be fruitful so they could harvest the fruit. There was a useful purpose for the branches. If the branches were not bearing fruit, he would cut them off so that all the nutrients of the vine could be concentrated in those branches that are producing fruit. And there is also a kind of cutting that he would apply to the fruit-bearing branches. He would not remove them on the whole like he did with the branches not bearing fruit, but he would prune them. This precision kind of cutting actually helped them to become even more fruitful. This pruning work of the Father is a picture of the cleansing work of God in the lives of believers. If you are a believer in Christ, you have experienced and continue to experience the pruning work of the Father in your life. You know what it is to be pruned by the Father. There are things in your life that are not conducive to fruitfulness for Him, and He cuts away at those things in your life so that you can become more fruitful. Sometimes this pruning happens as God's discipline of us when we've been disobedient to Him. Look with me at Hebrews 12. Speaks of God's discipline of us as his children. Beginning in verse 4. It says, You have not read, yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
The Lord disciplines those whom He loves. In fact, God's discipline of you is a sign that you are His. He disciplines us for our good. He brings consequences to our disobedience for our good. It doesn't feel good at the time, but it is good for us. And as we are trained by it, we become more fruitful. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Sometimes this pruning comes as we are disciplined for disobedience. Sometimes this pruning comes by the Father bringing into our lives trials. Like what we see happen with Job in the Old Testament. It's not directly correlated to some sin we've committed. Look with me at James chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How can you consider it joy? When you face a trial, when you, when you think about trials typically coming with suffering, coming with loss, how can you be joyful about those things? Well, it's not the trial itself that we're to be joyful about that brings us joy. It is the result of that trial. It is the, the way God uses that trial in our lives, the work that He is doing. It's the pruning work of the Father in us that brings us joy. You see that the testing of our faith produces endurance. It actually serves to refine and to strengthen our faith to go through trials. They mature our faith. That is the the very nature of saving faith, faith that is a gift from God. It is by nature persevering. It's like a muscle that, that when it's exercised, it actually gets stronger. The Father uses trials to refine and to strengthen our faith. It is that fact, the knowledge of that, that brings us great joy when we encounter trials. We can get excited about the good that our good Father will do in our lives to increase our fruitfulness for Him. Perhaps you have experienced some pruning recently. Perhaps it's stung. Perhaps it's even stinging now. You need to know that your father is an expert vine dresser. He is the perfect vine dresser. He doesn't get even one cut wrong. I've many times tried to cut roses and just end up smushing the stem instead of getting a nice clean cut on it. Tried to cut back plants in the yard or tree branches and think, hmm, I'd like to get that cut back. (laughs) Oh well, it, it is what it is. But your Heavenly Father never gets a cut wrong. He cuts with precision. He knows where the cuts need to be He knows when they need to be applied in various spots of your life to make you more like Christ so that you can be trimmed up to produce more Christ-like fruit. He's a good Father. To the true vine is Jesus. The vine dresser is Jesus' Father. Third, We have the fruitful branches. These are Jesus' disciples. Looking back at John 15, picking up in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus utter the words to you? You are already clean. How amazing that the surety of those words would be for you. And yet we see in his word that he speaks these things of us. Look with me at at Titus chapter 3 in light of this concept of being clean. And we see this kind of work that the Lord brings into our lives by His grace when He saves us. Beginning in verse 4 of Titus 3. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is what had taken place in the lives of the disciples. They were saved, not by works, but by God's mercy. They had been washed in regeneration and renewing by the Spirit. Now they were going to receive a much greater sense of the Spirit's presence and empowerment after Jesus' ascension. But, But Jesus said even before that that they were clean, that they were justified by His grace and made heirs according to the hope of life. They have a place reserved in the Father's house. They are clean in regeneration and in justification. But they also need the ongoing cleansing of the Father, pruning them in progressive sanctification. And the Father ultimately uses the Word to accomplish all of this. Jesus points to that in verse 3, you are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. It is the Word in James 1.18, it says that believers are brought forth by the word of truth. This is when the Spirit regenerates them. He does so using the gospel. The Spirit uses the gospel preached to a person to bring them forth or to birth them anew. People are not born again apart from a hearing of the gospel. And not only are we initially saved because of the Word, with God using the Word in our lives. But we're also progressively sanctified with the Word. And so we can picture this as seeing situations that God brings into our lives for our pruning. They provide the context for that pruning. But the Father uses the Word as the actual blade that prunes us as we grow in believing that word and applying that word while we respond to the situations he brings into our lives. Perhaps a situation exposes an idol in our hearts and we respond to the truth of the word about idols by laying that idol aside and clinging more resolutely to the Lord in faith. Jesus tells his disciples who are already clean, to, in verse 4, abide in me. And this is the thrust of the passage. This is the command. Jesus uses some form of the word abide seven times in the next few verses. Verse 4, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. This repetition of abide shows us the emphasis 
Abide in the true vine. Because the vine is where you get life. It's where you get sustenance. It's where you get the resources to be fruitful. To abide is to remain or to stay. Jesus is saying, stay connected to me. And it's interesting in light of his comments about going away. He is implying that they will be able to still be vitally connected to him even though he's going away. We see here a picture of union with Christ. We saw in John 14 verse 20, a reference to the same concept when Jesus said, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Union with Christ. And now he illustrates that concept with the vine and its branches. Abide in me and I in you. You must be vitally connected to me so that my life and sustenance can be in you. Only when you're abiding in me can you then bear fruit. Show the signs of life. Jesus says at the end of verse 5 that apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing. You cut the branch off from the vine and it will die. Branch gets all the nutrients. It's very life from the vine. It's entirely dependent on the vine. And you can bear no fruit for God without Christ. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of the righteous deeds that we try to produce on our own are like filthy rags to God. The Father delights in the fruit of His Son in whom He is well pleased. It needs to be His life manifested in your life if it is to be pleasing to the Father. Your fruit needs to have the flavor of Christ. It needs to reflect His character. And you won't have that without depending upon Him. Amazingly, verse 7, we see that this dependence on Christ as the true vine, it's expressed more vividly and tangibly in our participation in the graces of the Word and prayer. Verse 7, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There are His words, and there is prayer, asking of God. Jesus had already spoken to the Jews, but also in the hearing of the disciples. In John 8, 31 and 32, If you continue in My word, then you are truly disciples of Mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus' disciples are marked by a continuing in His Word. They are made clean by His Word. They are pruned by His Word. Their minds are renewed with His Word so that they know the truth and the truth makes them free. It is those who are abiding in Christ and have His words abiding in them, giving shape to their thinking and they're living. Those then come to God and depend upon God in prayer. And they can anticipate answers to those prayers because their prayers will be shaped by the Word of God abiding in them. What they desire to ask for is shaped by the Word of God where they discover the will of God. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of of your heart. Notice delighting in the Lord comes first. And that will shape your desires and conform them to His desires shaped by His word. He is delighted to meet. The context is also focused here on fruit bearing. It's not ask for your selfish desires and it will be done for you. It's asked in the context of being a fruit-bearing branch for the glory of God that you will receive 
Verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is a revisitation of what Jesus said in John 14, verses 12 through 14. We see there that Jesus had spoken of the mission to spread the witness of Christ, the greater works across the globe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verses 12 through 14 of John 14 say, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That is the context that God will supply all that is needed for them to fulfill the mission. And in John 15, all that they need to bear much fruit for His glory, to reflect His character in the world, to proclaim Christ in the world, they will receive His provision so that the Father is glorified in the Son. It's, it's really a triune work that we see here. The supply of the vine, the, the Father pruning, and then we see fruit, and we learn later that Scripture speaks of fruit as fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23 being one example of that. These various qualities that are ultimately a reflection of God in His people. The Spirit produces these qualities in those who are in Christ. This is for the glory of God. This is for the character of God to be on display in God's people, in the branches that are tapped into the vine. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We bear fruit for the glory of God because that fruit bears the marks of God in our lives. We are simply the billboard to put on display the glory of God. There is no greater honor that you could have than to be a billboard that's displaying the glory of God, that your life would be used to that end. The command is to abide in Jesus. And you abide in Him by believing in Him. And you practice that belief by taking Him at His word, being a doer of it, so that it, it abides in you. You continue in His Word. You read His Word. You take it in and you apply it in your life. And so His words abide in you. You do that by faith because you believe that what He says is true and you want it to shape your life. You practice this faith by believing that if you ask of Him that He would cause you to bear much fruit for His glory, that He would work in your life, that He would provide the resources you need to honor Him, that He will provide. You believe Him. And you practice that faith by being receptive to the pruning work of the Father in your life, knowing that it is what it is, knowing what He is doing, believing in what He said He is doing in your life. The true vine is Jesus. The vine dresser is Jesus' Father. The fruitful branches are Jesus' disciples. And the fourth component of the metaphor is the fruitless branches are superficial followers. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Some have concluded that this metaphor is intended to teach that 
believers can lose their salvation. They assume that the fruitful as well as the fruitless branches are both intended to represent branches connected to the vine in a saving way, in a life-giving way. Perhaps the fruitless were once fruitful, but they've become unfruitful, and, and so they're cut off from salvation. There are a couple of problems I want to point out to you about that interpretation. The text does not actually say that. It doesn't say that they were once fruitful, and then they became unfruitful, and then they're cut off. It just gives two categories. Those that abide and therefore produce fruit, and those that do not abide and therefore do not produce fruit. You could just as much assume there are some fruitful and some fruitless from the beginning. Another problem with that interpretation is what Jesus has already plainly stated earlier on in the Gospel of John. Jesus says in John 6, 39 and 40, This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. If the fruitless branches are intended to represent some that the Father had given to Christ, then He would have lost some of those that were given to Him. But He says of all that are given to Him, He will lose nothing. He will raise it up on the last day. And then in John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If the fruitless branches are intended to represent some sheep that the Father had given to Jesus that he then loses, then both Jesus and the Father have failed to secure their grasp on some of those sheep. There is a much more textually and contextually based explanation for what Jesus intends to communicate with this metaphor that distinguishes between fruitful and unfruitful branches. The metaphor represents association with and proximity to Jesus. Judas had been associated with and in close proximity to Jesus. The disciples had no clue that he was the betrayer. But Jesus had been pointing out Jesus's, Judas's distinction from the true disciples for some time. Jesus, speaking to a group of supposed disciples, said in John 6, 64, There are some of you who do not believe. And John goes on to comment, For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. Jesus knew who the unbelievers were among them, and he knew who the betrayer was from the beginning. And John says this about Judas in Chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. That was his identity. He was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Judas was devoted to money, not Jesus. In John 13, Jesus had his exchange with Peter, with the foot washing. And Jesus says in verse 10, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. John comments on that in verse 11, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And in John 15, now with 
Judas gone, Jesus reiterates to them that they are all clean. He doesn't have to give that qualifier, not all of you here, because the unclean one has left. These are all true disciples. The superficial follower has left. He has departed. The disciples are are probably not making all of these connections at the moment, but John certainly did later. We just followed the connections he was making in the gospel. The Holy Spirit helped, as we have seen before, the Spirit of truth would come and help them to understand these things and to pin them. And here we see John coming to these conclusions, seeing these connections, understanding, ah, that's what the vine and the branches was about. Jesus gives them this metaphor that will eventually help them to see how all of this fits together. The fruitless branches represent those who have a kind of association with Christ, but they are not vitally connected to Him as the source of spiritual life. They've been around Jesus, but they've not truly received Him as Lord and Savior. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin has noted that Judas heard all Christ's sermons. Judas heard all Christ's sermons. It's a sobering thought. And Jesus said at the end of his Sermon on the Mount that there are two groups of people who build, those who build on rock and those who build on sand. And both groups of people had heard the word. He says about them both, they hear these words of mine. So what distinguishes them? It is only one that acts on those words. Only one who has his words abiding in them. Only one who has come to build their lives on his word. That's what true faith does. It takes God at his word. It lives like God's word is true. Because it believes that God's words are true. Which one describes you? What a tragedy it would be for someone here to go for many years of their life being associated with and in proximity to Christ and Christ's people and not truly be abiding in Him. Hearing much from the Word of God like Judas hearing all Christ's sermons, singing many Scripture-saturated songs about the gospel and the glory of God, and yet in the end, to be thrown away as a fruitless branch, dried up, gathered, cast into the fire, and burned up. Because you never truly bowed the knee to King Jesus. One day every knee will bow. You either bow willingly in this life or by force in the end as one of Christ's enemies. And I'm telling you this because I care deeply for your soul. And because it is the truth. If you've not acknowledged your sin before God and turned away from it and cast yourself wholly upon Christ's mercy to save you, you will face the eternal wrath of God in hell. But there is mercy at the cross. He drank the cup of God's wrath when He died on the cross so that you could drink of His living waters, so that you could have eternal life. Abide in Him. Believe in Him. Build your life upon Him. Abide in Him and enjoy the blessedness of being one of His fruitful branches. Depending on Him for life and for sustenance and bearing fruit to the glory of the Father. Those who abide in the true vine get to call Jesus' Father their Father. God can be your Father through trusting in His Son. Jesus gave his disciples a simple metaphor here to help them picture profound truths. 
that he had been teaching them. Great blessings afforded to them in the gospel and clarification about superficial followers like Judas. An exhortation and a warning urging them to abide in Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. His Father, the vine dresser, His disciples, the fruitful branches, and the fruitless branches, superficial followers. I urge you, abide in Jesus. Find your life and sustenance in Him. Find your resources for living a fruitful life in Him. Soak in His Word. Let His words abide in you. And pray without ceasing. Depend upon Him in prayer. Prayer is guided by the truth of His Word. Prayer is consistent with His will, with His desires. Be receptive to the Father's pruning work in your life and be encouraged that He's using the Word and He's using the difficulties in your life for good to make you more fruitful for His glory. I need Thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide where life is vain. I need Thee. Oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. Abide in Him. We need Him. And He has all that we need for life, for godliness, to live a life bearing fruit for the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice as we consider the life that you give us in Christ. That Jesus is the true vine. And by being connected to him, we have life flowing in us. We have your pruning work, Father, in our lives. We thank you for it. Sometimes it hurts deeply, but it is good. You are a good Father, every cut exactly where it needs to be. We thank you for that. Help us to be receptive to it. What a privilege we have of your word that we can have abiding in us and the privilege of prayer that you invite us to. To hear from you in your word and to speak to you in prayer, to walk with you. We thank you for these graces. Help us to make much of them. We pray, Lord, that as we do so, that you would be working in our lives to continue to sharpen us, continue to make us more like Christ, that we would bear more Christ-like fruit and reflect your character, highlight your glory. May we be billboards for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.